Hello and welcome to the PTP Podcast. What makes Polishing the Pulpit unique is the wide range of topics addressed each year. At any given hour, you have multiple class options to choose from, with topics varying from health and wellness to textual studies, issues that women face, eldership training, and so much more. One of the focuses of PTP each year is family, and in this lesson, Brother Eric Owens addresses a temptation that many parents face, letting their children become their idols. This study is full of biblical wisdom and practical measures that will help families avoid this trap. Let's listen. How to keep balance when your life seems to be consumed by caring for your children. Our title assumes and anticipates that we understand making our children our idols would be the wrong thing to do. And that maintaining a healthy balance in our marriage and parenting would be the right thing to do. And so our title demands some very practical instructions, a how-to, if you will. If you're doing this, you'll be encouraged not to do that in this session. If you're tempted to do this, then we'd encourage you resist the temptation. So what's involved is really practical measures about how not to do this. So let's begin and just dive right in. Point number one, how not to make your children your idols, or if that's the case, I would suggest this, by remembering what your children are. The Bible says things about children, about what they are. Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5 says at least three things. Children are an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of his womb is the reward. They are intended to be aimed and fired in a certain direction. The Bible says, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Third, the Bible actually says that children can make their parents happy. The Bible says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. When we talk about what children are, they are also, in addition to those things, children are helpless. In Exodus chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, we read of a tragic event in Israel where babies were being killed. The Bible says the woman conceived and bare a son. When she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took him from an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch, put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. His sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. As you read these pages or these, these verses, you'll notice there is a lot of action being done to and for Moses. But let me ask you this, what's Moses doing? Moses can do nothing for himself. The Egyptian king has decided to kill him. His faithful parents have decided to protect him. His daughter, his sister rather, has been commissioned to watch him. But Moses, the baby, 
completely and totally helpless. But not only are they helpless, they are honored. In fact, throughout the Bible, it is clear when people had children, they felt that they had been honored as a result of that. The first mother, the first expectant mother, you hear her reaction to the thought, the realization, she's going to have a child. Here's her reaction. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and when she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. The first birth announcement, I got a man with the help of the Lord. She's hardly the only one. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son called his name Noah. Here's what he said about his son. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed us, this one shall bring us relief from our works and from the painful toil of our hands. Children are humble. Matthew 18, 4, Jesus said as much. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children are all of those things and more. In fact, children are innocent. Romans chapter 9, verses 9 through 11, the apostle Paul speaking of God's prerogative to choose whatever it is he desires to fulfill his will. He spoke of children. He says, for this is the word of promise at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebecca also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. These children are absolutely innocent. But not only that, children are to be imitated. It's what our Lord said. Jesus called a little child unto him, set him in the midst of them. Now imagine the scene. There are a whole bunch of adults around. Among them are the apostles themselves. And Jesus calls a little child, sets him in the midst of them. And the Bible says, except ye be converted, become as little children, ye shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Children are also ignorant. When God was going to destroy Nineveh and they repented and Jonah grew very angry about God's decision. As God tried to help Jonah along about why he did what he did, he asked Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? He said, I do well to be angry even unto death. And as our Lord tried to teach his son Jonah, the Lord said, Thou hast pity on the gourd for that which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow. It came up in the night, it perished in the night. And with that same idea, he says to Jonah, Should not I have spared Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more, score, more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand? Why would I destroy it, Jonah? They repented. You know what's down there? It's not just a great city. Oh, it was that. There is within that city children, Jonah. They are worthy of being saved. 
Children are also individuals. You read the 12 sons of Jacob, you know them by name, Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. These are individual people. So too with your child. How can you avoid making them your idols? By remembering what children are. But then secondly, by remembering what children need. At least these three things, and obviously they need more, but these three things they need. Number one, they need to be loved. Number two, they need to be led. Number three, they need to be loosed. With regards to love, first of all, love involves teaching. Remember, children are ignorant. They don't know. In fact, Proverbs 22, the first part of the verse in verse number 15 says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. It is actually reasonable then, understandable then, that children would do foolish things. That's understandable. After all, they're ignorant. They don't know any better. And foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. One of the things that absolutely perplexes me is how adult people try to reason with two-year-olds. As if the two-year-old could reason. As if the two-year-old could put together logical, rational, understandable action and then deduce from the material, oh, that's right, I shouldn't have done that. Your love has to involve teaching, but then it has to involve training. You see, that teaching, because foolishness is bound in their heart, the second part of Proverbs 22 and verse number 15, the Bible says, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. While the foolishness may be bound there, it's not intended to stay there. How does it get out? Training from parents. Your love has to involve training and it has to involve teaching. But secondly, leading involves modeling. Again, they don't know. And so they have to be trained. How do they learn? Most often they learn by watching. They learn by imitating. Every parent must understand, accept, and embrace this fact. Your children, in the end, will be like you. I don't know the inventor of the phrase, but somebody a long time ago came to this realization and said, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It was a parent who said that probably. At some point, you come to realize they're going to be like you. What does that mean? You need to embrace that reality and then behave in a way you want them to one day behave because they will. In fact, God and Jesus depend on modeling. They depend on this working. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, Jesus in his first address to those who would be his disciples talks about love in that section of scripture and he's teaching them to love their enemies. And how does he want them to do that? He says, your father causes his son to shine on the just and the unjust. He allows his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And what does he want you to do? He wants you to model that. 
that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven, that ye may be like him. John 13, 13 through 17, Jesus modeled humility and service and then said this to the apostles. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, listen to it, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Why? For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent them. If ye know these things, happy are ye if you do them. You must remember what your children need. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Luke writes about Jesus, and he says this, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Heaven knows for sure that modeling works. That if you set an example for others to imitate, they will watch you and they will do as you have done. Every parent needs to know their children needs leading. They will model your actions and your thoughts and your words and your deeds. Heaven knows this work, but not only heaven, hell knows it works. The devil knows the truth of teaching and training. In fact, he embraces it. In John chapter 8, verse 41 to 44, Jesus having a conversation with the Jews, he says to them, ye do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came forth from God. Neither came I myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you can't hear my word. No, you're not of God, he says. Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning of both not in the truth. When he speaks of a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Your babies will model your actions, your thoughts, and your words and your deeds. In fact, there is a picture that many parents have seen in their homes. Maybe it's around two or three or four. A little baby will go over and eventually find their parents' shoes. Girls, if it's their mother's shoes and boys, he might find his father's shoes. And what they'll do is they'll put their little bitty feet inside of those great big shoes and try to walk. And when parents see it, they just laugh and giggle. And what a scene. It's a beautiful scene. But listen, you might want to take a picture of that. Because quite literally, that's true. One day, it will become a reality. When you put on your shoes, consider your baby's feet. Because where your feet lead him, he will go. When you turn on your remote or your computer, think of your baby's eyes. Because what you watch, he will want to see it as well. 
And when you feel your mind with whatever it is you feel your mind, think of your baby's heart. Because where your treasure is, his will be there as well. How do you avoid making your baby your idols? You remember what they need. They need love. They need leading. They need loosing. That love, which in teaching and instruction and correction and that modeling leads at some point to you loosing them into the world. It involves maturation. Training and teaching and modeling leads to growing, maturing, and becoming. And eventually that involves separation. You see, the end of your job as letting your children grow and go. How do you avoid making a little bitty baby your idol? You look to the future and you stop seeing him always as a little bitty baby. And you appreciate that some point that individual is going to be an adult and walk right out of your house. You're going to have to let that go. Now, if you're not doing what you want to hear, you must understand how this is going to end. God intends for his children to grow and he demands it. Grow in grace and in knowledge, 2 Peter 3.18. He chides his children when they don't grow, when for the time ye ought to be teachers, Hebrews 5 and verse number 12. How do you avoid allowing them to, to be your idols? Well, this is how you do it. But then thirdly, by rejecting worldly wisdom. Would you please fix this firmly in your mind? Never forget it. If you want to revisit it, that's fine. But there are some things that's just true, and they really don't need to be revisited. Gravity works. I don't need to revisit that. I don't wake up every day in the morning thinking to myself, now I wonder if that gravity thing is going to carry over till Tuesday. No, it was real good on Monday. I'm not sure about, no, no, I don't think about, that one works. Here's what you need to fix in your mind. The world and its wisdom is in opposition to God and his wisdom. You won't need to revisit that tomorrow. It'll be true. God says, spank your child. The world says, don't spank your child. God says, your children need correction and instruction. The world says, let them find their own way. You will hurt their self-esteem. God says, set limits and boundaries and teach them to exercise self-control. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the world says, no, let them have self-exploration. There is nothing in the Bible that would lead anyone to believe that God would endorse children becoming our idols. The world says they should be. It's not a matter of if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody's happy. No, it's not that. It's also if little Timmy, Tommy, Susie, Sarah, Grace, Bobby, if, they, if they're not happy, nobody's happy. And parents have capitulated and placated to children. And what we have found, it's the same thing we find every single time. When we listen to the world and we stop listening to God, nobody's happy. How can you avoid it? Remember what children are not. Number next. Children are not the center of the universe. Go back to point number one and see what they are. They're not the center of the universe. Children are not marriage savers. A strained marriage will become more strained by adding children. The responsibility is too great. 
the obligations too many, and the task, quite frankly, too difficult. Children are not idols. If your children become your idols, the truth is you'll hurt everybody in the family. You'll hurt mom and dad. Someone or both of you will lose if your children become your idols. If your children become your idols, you'll hurt the church. Idolatry of any kind is sinful. Your children will not know how to submit to God. The church needs to be full of servants. Idols don't get served or they don't give service. They receive service. And children who grow up as idols, when they come to the church, well, they'll have no place to serve, but they will expect everybody to serve them. You'll not only hurt the church, you'll hurt society. We are seeing presently the effects on society when children become idols. They mistakenly believe because mom and dad bow down to me, because mom and dad can get, I can get their attention by ringing a bell, because mom and dad placate to me, serve me, and do whatever I want them to do, then everybody will do that. And so they don't understand when somebody says no. They don't know how to act. They don't respect authority. They talk back to everybody and everything. They disobey and are disrespectful to their parents because they might not know when they are young they shouldn't be idols. In fact, one of the challenges for parents is when children are young, they cry and strive to be the center of the family. They make it their business to become idols of the family. And they cry and they scream and they pout and they demand to be an idol in the family. The child, remember, is innocent and ignorant. So that behavior from them seems right to them. The parents are supposed to know better. And here's what will happen. If the child is successful as a child screaming and pouting and being made the idol. When the child grows up and begins to receive the difficulty, harsh realities of life, the child as an adult will then come back to the parents and say, why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you do a better job of rearing me? Why didn't you let me know I couldn't have my way in everything? And the parent will say, but you cried, and you pouted, and you screamed a lot. And what else could we do? And the child, now adult, will say to the parents, I was a child. I didn't know any better, but you were supposed to. If your children become your idols, you will help them on their path to hell. We're going to take a short break here to remind you about the upcoming Great Smoky Mountain Marriage Retreat that we host each year in February. Brother Eric Owens is one of our speakers this year, and this is a retreat for married couples in all stages of life. You can learn more at SmokyMountainMarriage.com. We pray that you and your family will have a happy and safe holiday season. If you want to hear more content like this while you're doing your holiday travels, check out PTP365. We have thousands of lessons available for download on hundreds of topics. You can learn more at polishingthepulpit.com. And now, the rest of the lesson.
There is a harsh reality, friends, about having children, and it's this. Some people will destroy their marriage, ruin their children, harm their relationship with God because they were blessed to have children but were unprepared to rear them. How can you avoid this? By learning from biblical examples. Romans 15, 4. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience of the scriptures might have hope. There are families in the Bible. There are people who had children. How did they do? Not every one of them did well. Isaac and Rebekah had children. How did it go? One parent loved one child. The other parent loved the other child. What they created was great animosity, sibling rivalry, hatred among the children, distrust, dishonest between the parents. The children learned by watching their parents behave. David's children saw something in his house, the harmful impact of sin. The sword never departed, and because of sin, Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. Her brother Absalom killed Am Amnon. Absalom was killed by his uncle. Solomon killed Adonijah. A look into David's house reveals fornication, rape, murder, deceit, betrayal, just to name a few. Solomon's children had false religion. They had idolatry in practice by their father. David charged him to follow God, but he didn't. He loved many foreign women, turned away his heart. God appeared to him twice. It didn't seem to matter. He lost the kingdom. No doubt his children were affected. Eli's had children, but they had no discipline. His sons were wicked. He did not stop them or restrain them, and they died in their wickedness. God's glory departed as a result. What can you do? Well, here's something you can do. Prioritize the two roles and relationship in your life. It's interesting and quite amazing. I think we would all agree that probably the two most difficult things to do in life is to, one, be married, and the second is to have children. And in an amazing way, we say, let's do both of them as close to each other as we can. Oh, no, one's not hard enough. Let's get in there all the way and let's do both of them. We're married now. I know what. Let's have some kids too. And you thought the marriage was tough. If you are married, please remember, marriage is your primary role. Spouse is your primary relationship. How do you avoid allowing your children to become the idols? You remember this and separate the two positions. One is primary, the other secondary. When you got married, you made vows. Anybody make vows when they had children? You made vows to your spouse, but you didn't just make vows. You called heaven and earth to your wedding. You told heaven, give your attention. God, turn your focus. 
In fact, we want to give you an invitation to attend our wedding. And God, we want you to see this. And we want to stand before you. And we want to voluntarily make a vow before you and before witnesses to each other. God accepted your invitation. God came to your wedding. God watched. God attended. God heard. And God will hold you to your vows. If we did that correctly, there were no children present. Husbands, love your wives. And ye wives, see that ye reverence your husband. Love, cherish, nurture, honor. God didn't just attend. He spoke. God was the best man giving the speech at the ceremony. Remember and practice 1 Corinthians 7, 33 and 34b. The Bible says, but he that is married carries for the things that are of the world. Underscore this in your Bible if you are a husband. How he may please his wife. But she that is married carries for the things of the world. How she may please her husband. If the children become the idols, that spouse to whom you vowed cannot be pleased. You can't serve both of them. Parent is your secondary role and relationship. If you make your child your idol and neglect and disconnect from your spouse, that will happen. As a result of that, you will ruin the primary relationship, which in turn, watch it, will ruin the secondary relationship. In a strange and ironic twist, the very child you're making the idol, the very child that you're making the center of the universe, the very child that you would argue, I'm doing this because I love them. That very child may one day end up in a divorce court. Having to choose visits to his parents. Custody battles for the very child that was made the idol. You make this child the idol. If you make this relationship more important than the marriage, you will absolutely harm the very child you think you're loving. Your marriage gave rise to the children. The children didn't give rise to the marriage. Number next, put the fear of God in your child. Before you do that, put the fear of God in yourself. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
But fools despise wisdom and instruction, Proverbs 1.7. Your child needs to respect your word. Your child needs discipline and correction. So spank your child when it's necessary. And for some parents, I appreciate that needs elaboration. Used to be you could just say a thing and people with good sense and biblical acumen and understanding was reasonable. They understood what that means. And now, though, it requires some explanation. I'm not opposed to it. I'll give the extra explanation. So let me offer that up. I say spank your child. King James Version actually in one verse says beat him. But listen, that might be way too much for some folks. What do we mean, spank the child? You know, friends, when I'm offering advice to parents at home, and we just had a parenting class not long ago, everything in my mind and in my world eventually finds its way back to our Heavenly Father. And since the Bible refers to God as our Father, that means, in some sense, God is a parent. What that also means, then, is I should find in this book how to parent. And I do. I would parent like God. Does God discipline his children? Absolutely. Discipline involves two things. There is instructive discipline and there is corrective discipline. And the instructive discipline is intended to avoid the corrective discipline. When we say spank your child, that's not first. That's not primary. Because your child is ignorant, because your child has foolishness bound in them, they need to be taught and that's what comes first. And so God teaches, Adam, of every tree in the garden, thou mayest freely eat, but the tree of the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat of it, neither shall you, shall you touch it, lest you die. What are you doing? I'm teaching. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I don't want you to do. I'm teaching you. Here's the choices. And then I'm allowing you to make the choices. Now, with also this understanding, if you do that which I told you not to do, there'll be consequences. You'll die. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they eat of the tree. What does God do? He comes. Child does and disobeys his parent. What should the parent do? Come to your child. We need to talk. What are we talking about? We're talking about you not following my instruction. And so God asks questions. Where are you? What have you done? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? What are you trying to do, God? God knows, so he's not asking for information for himself. What is he doing? He's trying to teach his child, you've done wrong. I know it. Do you know it? And so he then tells Adam, here's what's going to happen as a result of that action. is be punishment. And you find God doing this all the way through the Bible, all the way through the Old Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation. What is Jesus talking about to the churches? I got someone against you. Why? Well, here's what you're doing. Here's what I told you. You left your first love. Listen, I'll come and remove your candlestick if you don't. That's Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22. He does that. What is he doing? Teaching. And throughout there, there's some correction, Revelation 2 and 3 rather, and there's some correction along the way. Sometimes God does and he, he corrects as a result of the disobedience. You need to do that with your children. By the time we're spanking, I used to tell my babies, by the time I'm spanking you, something has failed. The reason I'm spanking you is because the instruction didn't work. I would have loved for the instruction to work because despite what children think, I never woke up in the morning saying, today let it be the day I get to whoop one of them. <laughs> oh, mercy. 
I hope the sun is shining. I hope it's 75 degrees. I hope my wife's in a good mood. And I hope I get to spank somebody today. I never woke up like that. No parent enjoys spanking their children. In fact, we're so against it. It is so contrary. It hurts so much. Some of us don't do it. But we have to because it'll save the child. You need to discipline and correct and spank your child when it's necessary. You need to set limits for your child. In fact, I would urge this. You set the child's schedule. And you set the child's schedule around the adult's schedule. Some adults are running all over the earth being led by the nose by their children. How you doing? I'm tired. Are you? Well, what's wrong? Oh, he's got this. He's, he's got soccer at eight. He's got basketball. At he's got this. He's got that. He's got, I don't know what I'm going to I do. I know what you're going to Son, you can't be in every one of them. Pick. I don't think you're going pro in soccer. You might want to look. You, you, you might try badminton, son, or try swimming, or son. I've seen your throwing arm. No, no. Man, it's like they, I can't say nothing. To, yes, you can. If you, you better say something. Your child doesn't need to be in every sport, every season, every club, every group. You're the parent. The apostle Paul uses the expression, quit you like men. I walk into a family and see the child doing all the talking. I start looking around thinking, what in the world? Are, are there any adults here? The innocent, ignorant, unlearned is doing all the talking and all the leading. As my mama used to say, you can't even wipe yourself successfully and you're going to tell me what to do? That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. I don't know who said it, but somebody said, if you give a pig and a boy everything they want, you will have a very good pig and a very bad boy. Develop a game plan for how you as a team will parent your children. Use the marriage to parent the children, but don't allow the children to destroy the marriage. There's a couple at home that's pregnant. They were walking up the parking lot one day. I happened to see them, and I ran over. By the way, I love babies. I do. And when women are pregnant, I'm just rejoicing. I'm like, oh, yeah, man, this is fantastic. Y'all about to have a great time. This is going to be good. No, I ask him, how y'all doing? Oh, we're excited. How much longer? Oh, two months. And before I turned to walk away, I, I just, it came into my mind. So I asked him, I said, do y'all have a plan? How y'all going to parent? No. We hadn't thought about that. Y'all just going to wing it? <laughs> <laughs> Wait till the baby come out and we just gonna see what sticks. They said we never thought of it. I said, you didn't? What well, what do you think's gonna happen when the baby starts crying? 
when, when the baby needs to be changed, when the baby needs to be fed, when the baby needs to be, when y'all are both dog tired, who's going to do what and when? They never thought about it. No, no, you're the adults. So you get to decide how we are going to do this. And because there's a lack of planning, that's how babies ends up in parents' beds. I know what you're thinking out there. I see you. Well, what's wrong with that? Everything. <laughs> you bring that baby into that bed when the baby is a month old, two months, they won't leave till they're 16. Mom, tell dad to scoot over. It's just... Do the math. There's two of y'all. Y'all are bigger and smarter than they are. They have a limited amount of things they can do to y'all. Their main weapons are crying and wetting and soiling diapers. That's the best they can do. Friends, you have to win when they're little. You have to see the finish line. 18 is coming. In fact, I suggested to one couple, when your baby is put into your hands, imagine, if you will, a great big hourglass being turned over. The sand starts running now. And you have from right now to 18 years, that will be a fully functioning adult human being sent out into the world. What will you do for them to point them to heaven, to make them a spiritual, functioning, contributing human being from now till then? And that clock will not stop. Every day, another day will be gone for your ability to do that. The adults are in control. You chose to marry each other. You chose to have children. Now more than ever, listen to God. Follow his example and his teaching. The father of spirits never allowed any of his children to become his idol. And neither should you. Thank you. May God bless you. Thank you for listening. We would appreciate it if you would share this podcast with your friends and leave us a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. For more PTP information, visit polishingthepulpit.com or search for Polishing the Pulpit on Facebook.